Well, in case you're new around here, um, one of the things that we like to do is keep it real. And, uh, you know, you saw Stephen just being up here, just being real. And that's that's all we know how to do. I mean, we're, uh, we do the best we can with what we were given. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay. That should give everyone hope <laughs> that you can do this too. You know, there are some of you out, whoa, some of you out there that are called to do this. So take that in. We have been in a series on prayer, and it's come down to this today because I needed all of that prayer that went before to do this today. No, I'm kidding. Because it is all about me, after all. No, not really. Um, ah. My name is David Danley, and I am one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, I'm human too, so bear with me. Um, now, actually, we have been in a series on prayer, and we had the next uh, volume in that uh, series scheduled for today. But it's about praying for our leaders, among other things. And since our leaders are on vacation, we decided we'd swap so that when our leaders are here, we can pray for them. So um, my topic is not so much directly prayer-related as it is indirectly prayer-related in that I am going to talk about the E word, evangelism. Okay, But uh, and the thing is, is I want everybody to be A-OK with the E word. Okay, so yeah. some of you that'll some of you will get that on the way home. Um, so let's just jump right in. Um, I'm going to introduce probably, hopefully, uh, some new uh, new uh, information. Um, Try not to keep it from getting too academic. And also, we'll be looking at a few familiar, pretty familiar stories from the Bible, but hopefully be pointing out a couple of different aspects of those different things. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the uh, what's called the Engel Scale. And I'm going to get over here where I can see what you're seeing. And... What this is is uh, the spiritual decision-making process, and it's from the book What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest by James Engel. And you might have heard us talk before about how it takes somewhere 25, 27, 28, somewhere around in there, positive touches for an individual with a Christian, positive Christian touches for them to come to Christ. And so we can kind of see the the development of the process because people start out with no awareness at all. Um, and then they get an initial awareness, become get some fundamentals, and get some ideas of what it might actually mean. And then their attitude becomes positive toward the gospel. And ultimately, they make a decision and... Uh, ideally <laughs> make a decision well they're going to make a decision one way or the other hopefully that decision is to is to accept 
Christ. And so what what I kind of want to do is take some of the pressure off in in terms of you know we we always talk about the great commission the great commandment you know go into all the world and be witnesses and baptize and all that stuff well what i'm proposing today is just to live your life the best way you can just be the best you that you can and but have some awareness of how this process works because someone that's at a minus 8 they need a whole lot of they need a whole lot of of information and a whole lot of encounters with positive encounters with Christians before they're going to really listen very well. And then you've got on the other end of that side of the scale is they're they're ready to give their lives. They just there's that's that ripe fruit that's just ready to be plucked. Okay. Now, if you were to get, give out a track if you were handing out tracks if you give a track to that person at minus eight what's he going to do with it yeah he's probably going to throw it away if at the very at the very best probably will throw it away but if they're at that minus two minus one kind of thing what do you think might happen they might it might be just enough to put them over the, over the top and getting them saved so, as you go about your day, you're going to bump into people. You're, you're going to bounce off of people all day long. And maybe at work, at school, um, when you're out shopping, whatever it is. You've got, if you, even if you don't leave the house, you should probably have family members that you're interacting with on a daily basis. And so, just have... If you have encounters with people, just remember it's one of the 27 and kind of get a gauge of where they are and then you know how to respond to them. And that's on the the pre-decision side. If we go to the post-decision side, the job's not over just because somebody says yes. Oh, and I forgot to mention, if... We we can do probably the greatest disservice we can do to someone is to force them from one step to the next when they're not ready. You know, we could, by the force of our will, I know a guy who's got a gift of, he's got the gift of evangelism. And I've seen him talk people into accepting Jesus right on the spot. And he, know, he, he knows how to do that. And he's gifted at it. Um, the thing is, is that it then requires discipling in order to keep, you know, in order to keep them. So if there's no discipling available um, or other kinds of friendships or connections, then it may not stick. And so we've done somebody a disservice because, yeah, I tried church. It didn't work. And so. Sorry, that might have been too close. Slurp in your ears. Okay, so on the plus side, we see what happens after that is we need um, ongoing discipling, and it takes time to grow from you know what we might term as baby Christians into maturing Christians. And I won't. I'm not. I'm saying maturing because somebody might say that I'm a mature Christian. Well, I've 
don't think I'm, I'm not there yet by any stretch of the imagination. So I would call myself a maturing Christian. What else did I want to say about this? Because is this connecting with? Does this make sense? Some of this stuff making sense? Yes, I see one head. And I see two, three. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Because um, along with those 27 touches to get started, it takes friendships to keep someone around. It takes somewhere upwards of s- around seven or so friendships in order for someone to stick. That's why it's so important that it, you know um, that we help people connect to community groups, etc., you know, so that they can develop those friendships, so that they can then really get into the discipling path. Okay, Jesus had different encounters, different kinds of encounters with people. Um, One that I want to look at briefly that's in the relational category is the woman at the well story. Everybody pretty much heard the story of the woman at the well. I would think. If not, you can. uh, It's in John chapter 4. I urge you to read the the setup to this. But basically, Jesus has come on a a, uh, Samaritan woman at the town well in the middle of the day. And by law, they're not really supposed to interact. By the Jewish law, they're not really supposed to have any interaction. But Jesus goes ahead and engages this woman. And long story short, she ends up believing that he's the Messiah and is so excited by how he has treated her and what he has shown her that she runs home and tells everybody. Okay, So Jesus related to this woman and, and, and had a relational kind of, of uh, encounter. And uh, so we can see this is... From, starting from verse 39 here. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Now, there's her enthusiasm. Now, he might have told her more than what's recorded, and she might be embellishing that just a little bit, but that's okay. I think I really think that he told her a lot more than is recorded. So when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at their village, so he stayed for two days long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe because we have heard from him ourselves, not just because of what you told us. He is indeed the Savior of the world. And so it was the woman's relationships with people in town that that got a lot of this started. And then the word of mouth continued, and a bunch of people got saved, at least in that context. Okay, so what does that mean for us today? Again, as I mentioned, you know, we're relating to people in different ways every day. And, uh, and so in terms of, of an aspect of prayer, we should be praying about those contacts that we have. And we should be asking God to show us who he wants us to talk to on 
tomorrow. You know, the night when you're saying, if you say your prayers at night, or if you do your devotions in the morning or whenever it is, is ask God, who do you, show me who you want me to, to really go out of my way to interact with today. And ideally, he'll, he'll show you. And if, if you have problems with even coming up with somebody, it's like, well, everybody I know goes, goes to, I only know people that go to my church. Well, that's easy to say, but, um, there really are more people out there. And so what I want to give you is a little tool to help you with. It's called the Frank List. And some of you in the community groups have probably heard this before. And what this stands for is friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and kids. Most of that's pretty self-explanatory. Maybe the kids is not quite so obvious. This would be the if you think about kids that your kids interact with or kids you've just gotten to know somehow in the neighborhood, they have parents and other family members. And plus, a lot of people will come to church for their kids. You know, my kid needs to go to church, and so I'm here for for him or her. So, um, so what you can do is you can use this as a tool to help you come up with people that are really in your sphere of influence. A typical person has about 250 people in their sphere of influence. And now, if you would, uh, welcome my wife up here, my beautiful, talented wife. She's going to give you... She's going to share a story of relational evangelism. Okay, so I need you to time travel with me back to about 1987. And let me set the stage for you because none of you knew me then. Um, I was raising two little kids, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Stuck most of the time in base housing with no car. We had one car for the family, and I usually didn't have it. And living in a neighborhood where um, the actual physical environment was such that the kids really couldn't play outside, so it wasn't the kind of neighborhood where you would meet your neighbors outside with their kids or what have you. And I was fortunate to belong to a church that taught very strongly that a major reason, if not the main reason, for our being on earth before we made a decision to love Christ and follow him was to have the opportunity to make that choice. And then a major reason for our life after we're saved is to allow other people to make that choice. So I understood that. But here I was, stuck in a house with two little kids that had to go with me everywhere, no car, no neighbors hanging around outside. And on top of that, I was still very introverted. It was very hard for me to just walk up to somebody and say, hi, nice to meet you, you know. But I understood that this is what God expects from me, and I also understood if God wants something from me, he's going to make it possible. He's not asking me for the impossible, and nothing's impossible for him. So being the no-nonsense person that I am, I said, well, Lord, I can see here you want me to share the gospel, but you're going to have to bring them to me. If you want me to share with someone, you're going to have to bring that person to me because I can't get to them. And then I just left it in his hands, didn't worry about it. And it was a short time later. I can't tell you if it was a day or a week or a month, but it was enough that I remembered the prayer. I was standing right outside my front door, little three-year-old Ricky, um, 
the baby was either in the crib or with me. I can't remember. But there we were standing just outside the front door. And here comes this woman and her little boy walking down the sidewalk. And she was hard to miss because she was very, very pregnant and had flaming red hair. So I couldn't have missed her if I wanted to. But what was really amazing was her little boy was about the same size and age as mine. And they saw each other like from half a block away and immediately started running to each other. It was like those commercials where the couple is running in slow motion and the music's playing, you know, in the grass. It was exactly like that. And they came together in the middle of the yard, instant best friends. So, of course, we had to talk to each other, right? I mean, God couldn't have made it any easier. I knew exactly what that was. You said, bring her to you. I brought her to you. So got to know her. She lived just a couple houses down. Uh, keep the story short. Uh, she and her husband started attending a Bible study we hosted in our home. We didn't lead it. We just hosted it. It was almost identical to the community groups we do here, except that it had a very strong outward focus. It was called an evangelistic Bible study. The idea was to have a place where you could bring your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, what have you, um, to experience Christianity. And her husband would have been probably very resistant to this, except for the coincidence that he and I had gone to junior high school together in another city many years before, didn't know each other, but we were in the same school at the same time, and had some cultural similarities where he felt comfortable with me. And within a few months, they both gave their lives to Christ, which was very, very rewarding. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay, now I want to move to the topic of power evangelism. And um, I was trying to come up with a definition for power evangelism, and and all I could really come up with was a a concept of that when someone has an encounter with the power of God of one kind or another, that if they're not a Christian— it account it will account for more than one of the 27. You know, someone uh, were to get healed of some type of affliction, that might account for five or ten or even more touches. You know, if they're halfway up the scale, that might be enough to put them over the top right there. Uh, we also have a ministry in this church of encouraging words that uh, where we tap into the uh, prophetic revelatory realm of the Holy Spirit and we share words that with people that um, it's how basically how God looks looks at them how God sees them you know as best we can you know filtered through us we do the best job we can with it um, I want to look at well before I do that how many of you would say that you have had some kind of a power encounter with with the Lord of one kind or another Raise your hands. Wow, that's a, that's probably half. That's a, that's amazing. That's the, was kind of what I was believing it might be. Um, now the other half, <laughs> your turn's coming. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe. Um, okay, so let's look at. The story of a man that was totally demonized, that was, he was um, actually possessed by some 2,000 demons, and so he was really bad off. Um, 
could have the next slide, please. Okay. So here's here's how here's how the story begins. It's, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. This is Jesus and disciples in the land of the Gerasenes. Just as Jesus was climbing from the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit ran out from a cemetery to meet him. And it's bad. I mean, it's, you know, it's bad if he's hanging out in a cemetery. That's that. That would be a, a good clue that something's wrong. This man lived among the tombs and could not be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one, no one was strong enough to control him. So here we see someone that's in really dire straits that needs help and needs Jesus. And Jesus is there. And so... Um, Long story short, Jesus uh, speaks to the demons. They're, the man is delivered of, of the demons, and he is so grateful now. I mean, because he's, now he's normal. He doesn't need to be chained. He doesn't need to be shackled. There's no um, all all of those everything related to his um, previous actions is pretty much gone. I mean, this man has had a, a supreme power encounter. With with Lord, but I want you to see the outcome of it. So when Jesus got back into the boat, the man who had been demonized begged to go too, but Jesus said, "No, go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how merciful He has been." So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to tell everyone about the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now. If you knew somebody that, um, let's say they were, oh, the crazed killer on death row. You just happen to have someone in your family that was like that, okay? And you, you might go to visit them. You might not because you know what kind of condition they're in. But then they have an encounter with God in prison. There's a lot of prison ministries, and we are, that's part of our commandment as well, is to, is to look, look after the prisoners. And you go and you visit, and this man, where he'd been shaggy, was now shaved and clean, and where he, his language had been extremely rough, now was, was clean. I mean, you'd, you'd think something happened, right? It's like, okay, what, kind of medication do they have you on or whatever well the, he'd probably he'd be so happy he probably would tell you i had an encounter with the living god and as many people as this man told it says everyone was amazed at what he told them i know that some of them had to believe just because of the sheer power of his, his testimony it's just something that couldn't be ignored Okay, now I think everybody's probably heard of the story of Lazarus. He got raised from the dead. But, you know, he's not living today, right? We don't have any 2,000-year-old men walking around. So it means that something happened to him along the way, even though he got, even though he got uh, raised from the dead once. At some point, he just went on to heaven. 
Um, where is okay, so picture Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry of Jesus. When he, it's the week of the Passion, and um, everybody's praising Jesus except for the the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees. And here's a little tidbit that's kind of tucked away in John 12, starting in verse 9. So when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. You know, again, when you've got a testimony... <laughs> like that where you know you can say or you don't even have to say I mean if people knew that you had died but then yet you're living you can't ignore that and so it's what they say is going to have a lot of credence now I mentioned earlier our encouraging word um Ministry, and this is something that Jesus did. Uh, if you look at John chapter one, where Jesus is, is gathering his disciples, he uh, here comes Nathaniel, and Jesus says, as he walks up, he says, "Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit." Some translations say there is no guile. Now, that was, that was an encouraging word to Nathaniel. He, he felt known, and he immediately believed in Jesus because he knew that there was no way that, um, I mean, he knew how he lived his life, but this was a total stranger. You know, how would he know unless there was some other kind of um, power at work? So, Jim, you want to come up? I've asked Jim Roberts to share with us. Um, he's had some power encounters, and I've uh, just asked him to share. Basically, he's going to share his testimony with him. Howdy, everyone. Um, first, I have a question for you all. How many of you all have ever feared death? I think that's probably everyone. I don't anymore. And that's partly because of what happened when I gave my life to Christ. Um, apparently, I was very hungry for the word even when I was young, which is part of the example of a negative encounter. Uh, I went to a church. Out of the blue, 12-year-old goes, Dad, I want to go to church. And Dad's like, okay. So I go to church, and... I get sent to their version of children's ministry, which does not teach on the Bible. I got stuck in a room building things with blocks. And after, I don't remember whether I went back one more time or not, but I basically said, this isn't church. I'm not learning about God. I'm not going back. And it took eight years for me to set foot in a church again and a whole lot of other significant things. 
which leads to my positive experience with Christians, which uh, came when I went to Cambridge University for a little college program. And uh, I met a guy named Kirk. Okay, my name's James. His name is Kirk. We made the joke that we needed to find someone named Tiberius. For those of you who don't know, this is a Star Trek reference. Um, yes. So, anyway, uh, he asked me some really hard questions that got me thinking again about God and where would my soul go. Still took three more years after this. This is year five. And that basically, what amounted to it was I was having panic attacks, um, thinking about death and freaking out. Basically, I have learned to jokingly call this time my midlife crisis. And I really hope it wasn't a midlife because that makes me my death at 40. Um, anyway, uh, so basically I was having the panic attacks. I went into a self-abusive depression. And uh, one night when I was curled up in a little ball freaking out and, uh, yeah, basically just completely and utterly freaked out about things, uh, I turned up and looked at the ceiling of my room and, went, God, I think you're there. Uh, at least I hope you're there. And even if you're not, there's worse ways that I can live my life than as a Christian. And so that night I gave my life to the Lord and my panic, my fear of death went away. I still have moments of panic. I mean, my life hasn't been perfect since, but I have no fear of death. I, there is no fear there anymore for me. And... Um, yeah, after that, I started coming to the vineyard. Um, my friend Matt uh, introduced me to it, who he was introduced by his girlfriend. Long story there. Um, and, well, I started going to community groups and found out about encouraging words. And um, after that, for about a month to a month and a half, I became an encouraging word magnet. There wasn't a time when I went to church. Or it's like someone was going, hey, you, Jim, right? Um, I got a word for you. I'm like, oh, dear. What do these people want to talk to me about now? And, I mean, it was just, I guess God uh, figured I needed a lot of encouragement after all that depression and everything. And it's just a great ministry to see and encounter. Uh, gone to First Fridays and uh, done the same thing. And it's just amazing to watch the people's faces light up when you encourage them like that. But, yeah. So that's my testimony. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. I want to summarize with this. I want to kind of circle back to where I started in, in terms of just urging you to be the best you you can be. Because we're, the Bible says that we're living letters. And what that means is, is that people are, people are watching. Everybody watches everybody else all the time, okay? And they're looking to see, you know, what if you and if you're advertising yourself as a Christian, they're watching you. If they're not a Christian, they're watching you to see what, how you, how you live your life. You know, at, at work, are you? Are you um, a good steward of the company's assets, or are you pilfering things? 
or it's oh it's just a pencil oh it's just a pack of paper oh it's just a copier i mean you know it's um um you know how do if you let's say and i and when i say you don't don't i'm not judging you i mean we is if i say you i've got if i'm pointing at you i got three fingers pointing back at me okay so i'm preaching to myself as well so if there's an ictus on the back of your car how do you drive <laughs> so some of you don't have to worry about that because you don't put one on your car and that's okay but it's just but those are the kinds of things you know it, it, you, when I used to work at USAA in a room full of, I mean, a gigantic room full of cubicles with, with um, everybody working on their own individual computer. And I'd see every kind of wallpaper on the computer screens imaginable. You know, it, and it, again, you know, as what would a Christian put as their wallpaper? You know, guys, would you put the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? On is your wallpaper or not? You know, the people are watching all the time. And Marissa, can we get to the living letters? The scripture is in Second Corinthians. Paul writes, "Your lives are a letter written in our hearts, and everyone." can read it and recognize good work among you. Clearly you are a letter from Christ prepared for by us. It is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It's not carved on stone, but on human hearts. And my last encouragement to you is, to, is related to um, another thing the Bible says about us as Christians, is that we are light in the darkness. Now, the Lord says, the, I mean, I'm sorry, the Bible says that the Lord will confirm his word out of the mouths of two or more witnesses. We sang about power at least twice, and we've sung about light in the darkness in the very last song. So apparently God wants that message to get across. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, you are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. And let me close. I'm just going to close with that. Is it? Let your lives shine brightly before people. And that will that alone will take care of will take care of things. People will come up and ask you. You know, are you a Christian? I really. Think thought you might be, you know, and uh, that's just the best way. Now, I'm going to play a song here to kind of reinforce that. And after that time, or even during that time, people will be coming up to the front, fast the community group leaders and anyone else uh, trained in, in ministry prayer to come to the front and be available. Um, there's not one thing here that anybody has that they're afflicted with, that there's a problem with, that is too big for the Lord. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you that has that came with a burden, 
to come and share with someone and have that burden lifted by the power of God. Okay. I bless you all. I bless your week. And check your Frank list. Ask who God would have you invite. And we'll see you next week.